in a word would you like to know how they do not live long see how keen they are to live long feeble old men pray for a few more years they pretend they are younger than they are they comfort themselves by this deception and fool themselves as eagerly as if they fooled fate at the same time but when at last some illness has reminded them of their mortality how terrified do they die as if they were not just passing out of life but being dragged out of it they exclaim that they were fools because they have not really lived and that if only they can recover from this illness they will live in leisure then they reflect how pointlessly they acquired things they never would enjoy and how all their toil has been in vain but for those whose life is far removed from all business it must be amply long none of it is frittered away none of it scattered here and there none of it committed to fortune none of it lost through carelessness none of it wasted on largesse none of it superfluous the whole of it so to speak is well invested so however short it is fully sufficient and therefore whenever his last day comes the wise man will not hesitate to meet death with a firm step perhaps you want to know whom i would call the preoccupied you must not imagine i mean just those who are driven away from the law court only by the arrival of the watchdogs or those whom you see crushed either honorably in their own crowd of support supporters or contemptuously in someone else's or those whose social duties bring them forth from their own homes to dash them against someone else's doors or those whom the praetor's auction spear occupies in acquiring disreputable gain which will one day turn rank upon them some men are preoccupied even in their leisure in their country house on their couch in the midst of solitude even when quite alone they are their own worst company you could not call theirs a life of leisure but an idle preoccupation do you call that man leisured who arranges with anxious precision his corinthian bronzes the cost of which is inflated by the mania of a few collectors and spends most of the day on rusty bits of metal who sits at a wrestling ring keenly following the bouts between boys who classifies his herds of pack animals into pairs according to age and color who pays for the maintenance of the latest athletes again do you call those men leisured who spend many hours at the barbers simply to cut whatever grew overnight to have a serious debate about every separate hair to tidy up disarranged locks or to train thinning ones from the sides to lie over the forehead how angry they get if the barber has been a bit careless as if he were trimming a real man how they flare up if any of their mane is wrongly cut off if any of it is badly arranged or if it doesn't all fall into the right ringlets which of them would not rather have his country ruffled than his hair which would not be more anxious about the elegance of his head than its safety which would not be rather be trim than honorable do you call those men leisured who divide their time between the comb and the mirror 
and what about those who busy themselves in composing listening to or learning songs while they distort their voice whose best and simplest tone nature intended to be the straight one into the most unnatural modulations who are always drumming with their fingers as they beat time to an imagined tune whom you can hear humming to themselves even when they are summoned on a serious often even sorrowful affair theirs is not leisure but indolent occupation and good heavens as for their banquets i would not reckon on them as leisure times when i see how anxiously they arrange their silver how carefully they gird up the tunics of their page boys how on tenterhooks they are to see how the cook has dealt with the boar with what speed smooth-faced slaves rush around on their duties with what skills birds are carved into appropriate portions how carefully wretched little slaves wipe up the spittle of drunkards by these means they cultivate a reputation for elegance and good taste and to such an extent do their failings follow them into all the areas of their private lives that they cannot eat or drink without ostentation i would also not count as leisure those who are carried around in a sedan chair and a litter and turn up punctually for their drives as if it was forbidden to give them up who have to be told when to bathe or to swim or to dine they are so enervated by the excessive torpor of a self-indulgent mind that they cannot trust themselves to know if they are hungry i am told that one of these self-indulgent people if self-indulgence is the right word for unlearning the ordinary habits of human life when he had been carried out from the bath and put in his sedan chair asked am i now sitting down do you think that this man who doesn't know if he is sitting down knows whether he is alive whether he sees whether he is at leisure it is difficult to say whether i pity him more if he really did not know this or if he pretended not to know they really experience forgetfulness of many things but they also pretend to forget many things they take delight in certain vices as proofs of their good fortune it seems to be the lowly and contemptible man who knows what he is doing after that see if you can accuse the minds of inventing many details in order to attack luxury in truth they pass over more than they make up and such a wealth of incredible vices have appeared in this generation which shows talent in this one area that we could not actually accuse the minds of ignoring them to think that there is anyone so lost in luxuries that he has to trust another to tell him if he is sitting down so this one is not at leisure and you must give him another description he is ill or even he is dead the man who is really at leisure is also aware of it but this one who is only half alive and needs to be told the positions of his own body how can he have control over any of his time 
It would be tedious to mention individually those who have spent all their lives playing droughts or ball or carefully cooking themselves in the sun. They are not at leisure whose pleasures involve a serious commitment. For example, nobody will dispute that those people are busy about nothing who spend their time on useless literary studies. Even among the Romans there is now a large company of these. It used to be a Greek failing to want to know how many oarsmen Ulysses had, whether the Iliad or the Odyssey was written first, and whether too they were by the same author, and other questions of this kind, which if you keep them to yourself in no way enhance your private knowledge, and if you publish them make you appear more a bore than a scholar. But now the Romans too have been afflicted by the pointless enthusiasm for useless knowledge. Recently I heard somebody reporting which Roman general first did this or that. Duilius first won a naval battle. Curious Tentatus first included elephants in a triumph. So far these facts, even if they do not contribute to real glory, at least are concerned with exemplary services to the state. Such knowledge will not do us any good, but it interests us because of the appeal of those pointless facts. We can also excuse those who investigate who first persuaded the Romans to embark on a ship. That was Claudius, who for this reason was called Codex because a structure linking several wooden planks was called in antiquity a Codex. Hence too the law tables are called Codices. And even today the boats which carry provisions of the Tiber are called by the old-fashioned name. Doubtless, too, it is of some importance to know that Valerius Corvinus first conquered Messana and was the first of the family of the Valeri to be surnamed Messana from the name of the captured city, the spelling of which was gradually corrupted in everyday speech to Messala. Perhaps you will also allow someone to take seriously the fact that Lucius Sulla first exhibited lions loose in the circus, though at other times they were shown in fetters and that javelin throwers were sent by King Bochus to kill them. This too may be excused, but does it serve any good purpose? To know that Pompey first exhibited in the circus a fight involving 18 elephants, pitting innocent men against them in a staged battle. A leader of the state and, as we are told, a man of notable kindliness among the leaders of old, he thought it would be a memorable spectacle to kill human beings in a novel way. Are they to fight to the death? Not good enough. Are they to be torn to pieces? Not good enough. Let them be crushed by animals of enormous bulk. It would be better for such things to be forgotten, lest in the future someone in power might learn about them and not wish to be outdone in such a piece of inhumanity. Oh, what darkness does great prosperity cast over our minds! He thought himself beyond nature's laws at the time that he was throwing so many crowds of wretched men to wild creatures from abroad, when he was setting such disparate creatures against each other, when he was shedding so much blood in front of the Roman people who themselves were soon to be forced by him to shed their own blood. But later he himself, betrayed by Alexandrian treachery, offered himself to be stabbed by the lowest slave, only then realizing that his surname 
great was an empty boast. from which I digressed and to illustrate how some people spend useless efforts on these same topics. The man I referred to reported that Metellus in his triumph after conquering the Carthanians in Sicily, alone among all the Romans had 120 elephants led before his chariot and that Sulla was the last of the Romans to have extended the pomerium which it was the ancient practice to extend after acquiring Italian but never provincial territory. Is it better to know that this than to know that the Aventine Hill, as he asserted, is outside the Pomerium for one of two reasons, either because the plebs withdrew to it or because when Remus took the auspices there, the birds had not been favorable, and countless further theories that are either false or very close to lies. For even if you admit that they say all this in good faith, even if they guarantee the truth of their statements, whose mistakes will thereby be lessened? Whose passions restrained? Who will be made more free, more just, more magnanimous? Or Fabianus used to say that sometimes he wondered whether it was better not to be involved in any researches than to get entangled in these. Of all people, only those are at leisure who make time for philosophy only those are really alive. For they not only keep a good watch over their own lifetimes, but they annex every age to theirs. All the years that have passed before them are added to their own. Unless we are very ungrateful, all those distinguished founders of holy creeds were born for us and prepared for us a way of life. By the toil of others we are led into the presence of things which have been brought from darkness into light. We are excluded from no age, but we have access to them all, and if we are prepared in loftiness of mind to pass beyond the narrow confines of human weakness, there is a long period of time through which we can roam. We can argue with Socrates, express doubt with Sarnavis, cultivate retirement with Epicurus, overcome human nature with the Stoics, and exceed its limits with the Cynics. Since nature allows us to enter into a partnership with every age, why not turn from this brief and transient spell of time and give ourselves wholeheartedly to the past, which is limitless and eternal and can be shared with better men than we? Those who rush about on social duties, disturbing both themselves and others, when they have duly finished their crazy round and have daily crossed everyone's threshold and passed by no open door, when they have carried around their self-interested greetings to houses that are miles apart, how few will they be able to see in a city so enormous and so distracted by varied desires? How many will there be who through sleepiness or self-indulgence or ungraciousness will exclude them? How many, after keeping them in an agony of waiting, will pretend to be in a hurry and rush past them? How many will avoid going through a whole crowded with dependence and escape through a secret door, as if it were not even more discourteous to deceive callers 
than to exclude them. How many half asleep and sluggish after yesterday's drinking will yawn insolently and have to be prompted by thousand times in a whisper before, scarcely moving their lips, they can greet by name the poor wretches who have broken their own slumbers in order to wait on another's. You should rather suppose that those are involved in worthwhile duties who wish to have daily as their closest friends Zeno, Pythagoras, Democritus and all the other high priests of liberal studies and Aristotle and Theophrastus. None of these will be too busy to see you. None of these will not send his visitor away happier and more devoted to himself. None of these will allow anyone to depart empty-handed. They are at home to all mortals by night and by day. None of these will force you to die, but all will teach you how to die. None of them will exhaust your ears, but each will contribute his ears to yours. With none of these will conversation be dangerous, or his friendship fatal, or attendance on him expensive. From them you can take whatever you wish. It will not be their fault if you do not take your fill from them. What happiness, what a fine old age awaits the man who has made himself a client of these. He will have friends whose advice he can ask on the most important or the most trivial matters, whom he can consult daily about himself, who will tell him the truth without insulting him and praise him without flattery who will offer him a pattern on which to model himself.